especially in a workplace L&D capacity, sometimes you feel as if you're designing stuff for everybody but the person that's on the receiving end of it. You can't just pigeonhole people by a job title or a shift pattern or a geography because people are people. You can't force people to learn. Learning something that happens in the other person's head, all you can do is nudge them in the right direction. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Marketing for Learning podcast. We've got a super, super exciting session for you today. It's both myself and Ash. Do you want to say hi, Ash? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and we're joined by a friend of masks and incredible learning designer, Paula Hughes. Paula has been in the L&D space for over 13 years she is on the Learning Network board and she is the silver winner of the Learning Technologies Learning Designer of the Year Award. She has job from job. She has more than one job. She has <laughs> had jobs from trainer, instructional designer, and most recently she's gone into a UX field. And that's what we want to talk to you all about today. We want to talk about user experience design in learning. So Ash, do you want to give us a, a brief like summary of what UX design really is and how it plays a part in both learning and marketing? Uh, yeah, sure. Although I think the UX expert would probably be a better place to <laughs> nah, answer this. So this is Paula, you can, you can, <laughs> <laughs> I love being put on the spot. Um, I, you know, I mean, I'm not a user experience designer. So when I think about user experience, user journeys, customer journeys, things like that, from a marketing perspective, that's to me what, what I'm looking at. So I'm looking at a, through a really granular lens and understanding what people's experience will be like at every single touch point, every single view that they might have, whether that's through the learning platform, the e-learning content, all the way through to the markoms that they experience and understanding how we can create wider cohesion between all of those experiences, but also ensure that it is optimized for the individual to be as simple as possible. So reducing cognitive load um, and making sure it, you know it's, it's as straightforward so that they can actually accomplish the goal of whatever it is they're trying to to do um that's my spiel uh completely <laughs> made up on the spot Paula what would you um, <laughs> you would add something to that <laughs> yeah so um it, it is literally just putting the user at the heart of everything that you're doing and um, making sure that what you're asking them to do at certain points or how you're nudging them towards things actually make sense to them from their point of view um especially in a workplace L&D capacity, sometimes you feel as if you're designing stuff for everybody but the person that's on the receiving end of it. So stepping into UX design recently has enabled me to just say the things that I've always wanted to say, which is, you know, yeah, it makes sense to you, but will it make sense to them? Will they care? Um, that sort of thing, yeah. And just like you say, Ash, mapping stuff out like making sure that you know what all your trigger points are, like where you're driving people to, where they're coming from, what noise is round about it, making sure that they're focusing on the right things at the right time. Um, and then acknowledging that there's, you know, there's a happy path and an unhappy path. And then when they drop into an unhappy path and a process or a journey, like how do we get them back on track? So it's just, yeah, it's a lot of thinking and exploring human behavior 
that's what I would say, which is probably the most interesting part of it, because the humans are your biggest variable and they never do what you expect them to do. So, yeah, Amen. you've just got to yeah. prepare for it and embrace it because that's what makes us human and interesting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think for me, UX design is all about that championing the end user the target audience so in our case most of our listeners case we'll be thinking about our learners and I love what you just said there about the happy path and the unhappy path because I'm running a masterclass at the moment and so many people struggle to put themselves in that learner's shoes don't they they struggle to empathize really because we are so engrossed in our own world um and you'll both know it but we have the ADOR model in the masterclass and pretty much everyone started with, they're looking for learning. No, they are not. <laughs> they are they are not looking for learning. So I love what you just said there, Paula, about the happy path and the unhappy path, because that helps us kind of empathize a bit more. So, mm-hmm. okay, there might be some people that are, are really engrossed and engaged with learning and they want to get involved. But then we've also got people that just, they don't want to, that they're not interested. And we still have, we have a responsibility to still do something about that, don't we? Yeah, because let's face it, people don't come to work to learn. No. I mean, I would love it if that was my job because, you know, I, I have a, a minor addiction to learning um, <laughs> having spent so long in higher education until they kicked me out because they couldn't give me any more degrees. But, you know, I would love I would love it if that was my job. But, like, I'm very aware that I'm an outlier in that respect and that a lot of people just want to come to work to do their job and learning might be an interruption even the fact that we call it this mythical thing, learning, like we're going to give you learning, um, or like when people ask you, how do you prefer to learn? Like, well, it depends. Yeah. It, it depends if it's, you know, if it's me wrestling with an Excel spreadsheet because my brain just doesn't seem to want to hang on to anything to do with formulas or maths. It's like reject. Um, I'm a humanities girl, what can I say? Um, <laughs> but, you know, if it's something like that, I'll, I'll Google it because I just need that answer there and then I don't need a course because a course is going to interrupt me and it's going to be something that I have to make an appointment to do like if it's if I just need to know how to do an an x lookup I can google something somebody will give me the formula template and then I can do it and move on to whatever I want to do next that in itself is is a piece of learning but it's it's in the short term because I only need it for that moment and but I don't you know if if it's something else like ux design I'm kind of collecting a few ux courses because you know the learning addictions kicked in there and <laughs> um, that's the kind of thing that I will make time for and dedicate what we call traditional learning time to um, but again it's you know it's it's mostly being driven by the fact that that's something that I'm investing my time in because it's something that I enjoy doing and it's what I want to progress my career on but that's that's through choice so yeah, yeah how, how do you learn how do you want to learn well I'm sorry if I sound as if I'm on question time but it depends yeah and that's I think Paula's stock answer to everything but I think that's <laughs> it's so telling isn't it given that you've just said that you are a self-confessed like learning addict almost and you also don't always want a formal learning intervention so why in our space do we just all go straight for that why is that such a a dumb thing in our industry and I think if we started looking more at a UX point of view that will help us overcome that problem yeah, Ash has an opinion. She does. She just <laughs> raised her hand. It's a strange moment. <clears throat> well, I don't want to, you guys, you know, there's so much of what you guys are saying that, you know, I, I want to kind of comment on. So 
I think the first thing is, you know, we we assume people are actively learning or want to learn, and that is incorrect. Just as much as a any any brand in the world that sells a, a fast moving consumer good or a commodity of any kind, they don't sit and say everyone wants to buy our product. Everyone everyone wants to spend all their money. No, they don't. They're they're either typically um, consuming to fulfill a need or they're consuming to satiate a desire or alleviate pain, whatever it might be. We don't seem to ever think that way in L&D. We just build out learning, you know, learning experiences that we think are meant and no one really gives a crap, unfortunately. And I think, you know, the crux of that is the reason we go for established structured learning programs is, if you want my honest opinion, it's a legacy thing from the way that learning has evolved from academia. So when you were doing all your degrees, Paula, you probably had a blackboard or something like that. And this is where a lot of our LMSs have spurred from. You know, there's a formal curriculum in place. You go to class, you do these other assignments around it. We kind of adopted that in a corporate environment. And, you know, we are moving away from it a little bit more now. But I think that's the the legacy and the headache that we're left with and why we still reach for formal learning even though we probably know that that's not necessarily what people want to help them, you know, fulfill a need, <laughs> avoid a avoid a pain, you know. So I think we need to let go of some of that structured learning approach mm-hmm. because there's not many circumstances, you know, you'll probably be able to attest this more than I can, Paula, but there's not a huge amount of circumstances, in my opinion, in a corporate environment where a hugely structured program of learning, barring like, you know, developing new leadership skills or things like that, that's actually going to benefit someone over, you know, a kind of more self-serve learning support system. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's as well, it's it's expectations from your sponsors and your stakeholders as well, because the one thing that everybody in the workplace has in common is that they've had exposure to that Socratic teaching experience where, there is the sage on the stage who imparts their wisdom to you and you have learned you know that that's that when when some when when the business is something that they attach a lot of importance or meaning to they almost like see that as their gold standard for education and that's you know that's what they're coming to is looking for whereas you have to kind of unpick it and say right okay that's where you're coming from but where are they coming from and do they see it in the same way as you? Um, like the the kind of example that I always give is that if you if you're dealing with like part time staff who are on like short hour contracts because they're maybe students, like they're already developed, they're already devoting quite a lot of their brain power and learning effort to the course that they're being charged nine grand a year to attend. What do we expect them to do when we put? long courses in front of them when they come to work when they might just be coming to work to earn beer money Mm. um you know they they are not going to come in with the same level of investment as somebody at exec level who sees it as a vocation or a career and who's actively investing in their in their career progression so you have to you have to really understand what's driving people and where they're coming from Um, and i guess that's where the ux side of things and marketing comes in because we do talk about personas and empathy maps and doing user research and really understanding beyond the job title what somebody's motivation is why do they come to work what are they looking for you know are they happy to just sit where they are because they just like doing a job where they can come to work every day and talk to people and feel as if they've helped somebody 
like they're not necessarily going to want all the career progression stuff that we're giving them, but they might get more out of something else. So how do we how do we tap into their motivations and really understand what they're looking for from us? And you know, it's I think we could have we sometimes come to things with our own expectations or our own um like what we would be looking for. Absolutely. So you know, you, you want to sage on the stage, but does the person sitting on the other end of it just want a wee guide on the side that says, oh, this might be useful, go and read this or go and watch that, or, you know, here's a good here's a good Google search term that will let you fall down your own rabbit hole of learning, because that yeah. might just be what's the right thing for you in that moment. But that's difficult to put that out there in volume, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you can't tick a box to say everybody's learned something, but if you put somebody in front of them and you've given them a script, whether or not they stick to it is another matter. Um, but you can say, we we did it, we put it in front of them. And we yeah. can tick a box saying that learning has happened. I feel like I can hear all of the people listening right now being like, okay, I get that. We need to personalise what we're doing for people. We need to understand what their motivators are and things like that. But then I can also imagine they're also thinking, I've got 5,000 employees. How on earth can I do that? So in your experience, what kind of things have you done to kind of understand more about that emotional side and real human side of your target audience? Yeah, so what's been in my in my recent um, little holiday into to UX, I've been really lucky that I've been able to get involved in UX research before moving into design. Um, and I love a bit of research. It's no secret that I love research, even though the quantitative side of it still terrifies me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, I've been doing interviews and focus groups. Um, I've been doing like observation sessions with people using the software that I'm working on developing. And just a massive eye opener when you see somebody looking utterly bemused and confused when you put something in front of them tells you so much. Um we do we do like surveys and stuff like that and you know it's not no one thing will give you all the answers what you do is you draw it all together and then you start recognizing the patterns and trends in it and then you uncover different motivations and and I know you you you've talked about it quite recently that you can't just pigeonhole people by a job title mm -hmm. um or a shift pattern or you know a, a geography because people are people um, and no two people doing the same job in the same location on the same shift pattern will be the same. They'll have different motivations. So you have to dig deep um, into the psychographics and, and understanding why people do the things that they do. But I think you also need to have a really solid understanding of human behaviour as well, um, which is something that I was kind of starting to get into before I did the marketing masterclass. But since I did the marketing masterclass, I have fallen like headlong into it, like Alice falling down the rabbit hole. <laughs> um, and I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm reading about behavioral science, I'm reading like all the UX design stuff, like just finding really interesting studies about like when you take a, a psycho, like when psychologists take groups of people and like manipulate them in a certain way, then you start seeing how human behavior changes. So there's the, there's the individual aspect of it from a how do you personalize it but then how do you account for group dynamics as well um because you know we all we all recruit our crew um and we all develop a wee bit of group think and sometimes in workplace learning we're trying to break people out of the group think because we're trying to get them to behave in a different way 
So you need you really need to understand the individual in the group. Yeah. And how they both interact then. But it's it's getting getting closer to your people, doing the research, having something that represents that, and then actually walking through things from their point of view. And somebody has to take on that mantle and be their voice. And I'm I'm quite happy to do it because I'm happy to be the team contrarian. Yeah. Um, as a lot of my colleagues will will attest to. <laughs> I'm the one that pipes up and says, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, it doesn't make, make sense to you, but if it doesn't make sense to me, how can I make it make sense to other people? Um, but yeah, just understanding that, walking through it and acknowledging the fact that people are not going to do what you expect them to do and being open to it and treating them like adults as well. Yeah. Because you can't you can't force people to learn. Learning something that happens in the other person's head like all you can do is nudge them in the right direction. Yeah, I actually saw a post yesterday. I really can't remember who it was from. I've been racking my brain. But it was like, I don't do L&D. Like you can't do L&D. Somebody else, like, that's their responsibility. You can give them the skills and everything they need, mm-hmm. the tools that they need. They do it. We don't do it as L&D professionals. I also think one of my big takeaways, the more and more I talk to L&D professionals when I'm trying to get them to dig deeper and look at the human side and actually get closer to their target audience, that's essentially what we're saying. They don't like it because it's not a quick win. It's it's not a quick task. It's not. And also everything you learn this year will constantly evolve. So you mentioned personas. When, you're, when you've done your personas, if they stay the same for five years, I don't think you're doing a very good job. They should be evolving. They sh- You should be learning more about your people and being able to finesse them to actually get more from them. And I think that's something that's probably a bit of a, a shift in mindset for L&D because we're, so, we're kind of used to things just happening mm-hmm. really quickly, aren't we? Like, oh, okay, we've got this author and tool and we're going to push out an e-learning course and next week mm-hmm. it's going to be on the LMS. Okay, I know some e-learning developers will be like, Han, it's not that quick. But (laughs) we're used to it being a lot quicker than actually the research stage of the UX design and marketing for learning actually takes. And I think that's a Mm -hmm. big culture shock that L&D need to get their head around. But it's kind of, this might be me speaking out of turn, but it's kind of what we should have been doing anyway. Because Mm. we shouldn't be putting things out without understanding what the real problem is or why people aren't doing what we want them to do why they're doing something else instead like we should we should already be gathering that research it's just looking at it in a slightly different way um and I think from from my perspective the biggest shift in my mindset has been although we know that we should you know course correct and iterate and go back and review things like the way that my work comes in it's it's so fast like getting breathing space to even catch up with yourself with what you're doing is difficult let alone revisiting it and iterating and improving it as you go so what's been what's been great for me learning about UX is I've been able to bring some of it back to to learning and be the person who'll step up and say right can we just pause for half an hour and think are we still on the right course here like do we have we changed it do we know anything today that we didn't know when we started out and if we do, what does it mean now? Are we still on the right track? Do we need a course correction? Um, it is difficult to stop when you're like in a project that's got full momentum like that, but it's it's the right thing to do. And you, somebody has to ask these questions because if we keep down a path, keep going down a path where nobody's acknowledging the elephant in the room, 
that we've maybe lost sight of what we set out to do, then that gets that gets paid forward onto the person at the receiving end of it. And then it doesn't work and it doesn't land. And then what happens? We just go back on the merry-go-round. Yeah. And then the same thing I, happens again. So somebody has to speak up on behalf of the, the user. For sure. And and I think as much as we think that we're advocating for the learner in L&D, we're often not. We're advocating for the business and the business need rather than fulfilling a business need through meeting a learner need. Mm-hmm. Oh, the irony. I think, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the thing that when you're talking and, and I, you know, I see it all the time and, you know, we work with not just L&D, but sometimes we work with HR, internal comms as well. And it never fails to astonish me how you know, corners attempt to get cut. This this stuff is often just not, you know, a deeper understanding of our audiences is pretty much the basis of marketing, of learning development, of user experience design. Without those things, we're operating blindly. And, you know, like whenever we kick off a project, we do quite a lot of discovery because how on earth can we write a strategy or develop a campaign strategy without a deeper understanding of the audiences that we're trying to hit, the the landscape of the organization, the learning landscape, all of that stuff. But I don't, I personally don't see any of those kind of internal communication functions actually taking the time to deeply mm-hmm. understand their audiences. And as a consequence of that, in tandem with short time skills, things being done at the last minute, almost always, um, it, it, we're putting our, we're setting ourselves up for disaster because we don't know who we're trying to target. We're giving ourselves a tiny amount of time to do any comms or messaging or anything, any kind of sophisticated deliveries out the window. How can it ever be effective? You know, and, and then it becomes a bit of a misnomer, doesn't it? Because, oh, well, you know, we tried this comms, we tried this business learning program, <clears throat> it didn't work. But do we know why? Because I don't, I think the root cause is probably because we haven't we haven't got that strong foundation of a deep understanding of our audiences. And you know, I think that that really does more harm than good, to be honest. Yeah. I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that we have to do it all ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you look at any organization, there will be somebody who is already gathering this sort of data and insight on your your workforce. Um there will be things that you can go and look at that give you a really, really good insight. Like I um I stalk people on our like internal comms platforms because they can comment on it. So like I'll just do like a keyword search and then start pulling comments to I'll anonymize them, obviously. Um, but just like, you know, as a quick sentiment analysis to say, oh, well, we, you know, we've been talking about this. What, what are people saying about it? Because people are really brave when they're, you know, on an internal social media platform. Um, that exists and it's fair game. And, and the amount of the amount of insight that you can gather in the space of half an hour just doing a keyword search on something that already exists, you know, how you approach doing that audience research, um, for me, a big kind of light bulb moment went off and um when I was learning about UX is that you're not always starting, you're not starting from a blank slate every time. There stuff already exists that you can go and get really quick answers from. And then that can point you in the direction of what what research gaps you've got. So you're not looking at research that needs to be done. You're looking for what gaps didn't you fill in the research that already exists because there's a bank of it there. And it's just finding the right people to ask for it because when you find those people they they want what they've looked at to be used and they're happy to share it but you know it's just taking that pause and saying 
right, I'm not going to discount it because it's a lot of work. Somebody might have done it, so I'll channel my energies into finding who has done it and what they can, what they're able to share with me and how I can use it. Doesn't all have to be you that does it. I love that. I love that idea of doing the keyword research as well. I think that's a genius idea. And again, it goes back to your comment earlier. Why are L&D not doing this for when it comes to creating a learning intervention of some sort, no matter which it is? Do people want it? Are we actually solving a real learning need? Or are we just being order takers and doing something that a stakeholder in the business somewhere has asked for us to do? Um, So doing that UX research, again, helps form your learning strategy as well and we have a lot of people saying that to us about marketing for learning a lot of the models we use they're like oh actually I could I could use this or I could use my personas to really scope what I'm creating in like my learning realm as well as the communications and it's like yeah this is the point and it's like I said earlier this is what marketing does businesses don't just sit there being like come to me like the example we always use is like if Tesla opened a car showroom and just sat there doing nothing they had the cars there but they didn't see if anyone wanted or needed them they didn't see Mm -hmm. if it was even worthwhile value prop they didn't market it they didn't do nothing with it they didn't think about their audience they wouldn't have sold any cars it's a case in point of why we should be doing this research yeah and how much of like there was a big penny drop for me and I think it was something that Ash said a couple of years ago about how much of L&D is about getting people to change behaviour well what does marketing do like marketing really understands people and gets them to change their behaviour in a specific way whether it's switching from one brand to another or whether it's buying something so we'd be absolutely crazy not to look at what marketers do and try and borrow some of it because marketers have to understand how people work and how they think and that's what yeah that's that's what we do with learning we're we're, it's all human cognition we're just looking at it from different perspectives and there's so many principles and methodologies that can transfer across if we just you know peek over the fence and say what are you doing over there I'll, I'll borrow that and I'll borrow that and See what you make Don't of it. borrow it, steal it. You steal know, it with in, in many cases, <laughs> like you know, we 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 don't we modify some of some stuff for L and D, but some stuff can literally just be lifted and shifted straight from a marketing context to an L and D tech context. Change the word customer or consumer to learner, and it makes sense. You know, I, I think that the things for me is. You know, as Han said earlier, the mindset piece is is, is why we start the masterclass with the marketing mindset uh, module first, because that's the biggest uh, deal breaker for us. Because as long as we continue to operate on the proviso that there's this latent expectation that employees want to learn, we just haven't cracked it yet, or we haven't built the best learning program possible it's not that, you know, we just haven't proven the value of learning to our organizations. You know, people don't, so many people don't even know this stuff is there. Mm -hmm. They don't know it exists. You know, I did a a lot of discovery for a very large client recently and I'd be on discovery with their employees. And someone would mention, I was asking about their learning proposition, what they have available and stuff. And people be like, oh, we have this, this, and this. And then someone else on the call would be like, do we? (laughs) You just think, (laughs) oh my God. You know, so like even at a basic level, you know, we've got to get people aware of stuff mm-hmm. 
before they before they can even understand the value and you know we cannot start from a, a business objective you know that's why things like rather than being order takers performance consulting is really really important if we're actually wanting to change behavior then we need to go out to the business and we need to actually understand how our learning is positively impacting performance mm-hmm. if someone from sales are saying I need some new product training okay but let's go and assess why and and what you know what what skill or performance gap or behavior change are we actually looking will decide what the best learning intervention is Mm -hmm. to accomplish that but I don't know if a lot of us have the gumption yet and the confidence in ourselves to be able to have that level of uh, pushback and actually say Mm -hmm. you know we know what we're doing we appreciate that you've identified a need but we need to look at it a little bit more Mm -hmm. instead of just you know putting another module onto our platform and hoping that someone somewhere someday somehow will find it and learn as you've said Paula you know it just it's not how people operate it's just I I just no one in the world is like wakes up and is like oh I'm gonna go you know you're a lifelong learner I bet you don't think oh I'm gonna go on my new my new LXP I guarantee you don't you know in fact you've talked about learning quite a lot you haven't mentioned your organizational training once in this discussion because you are finding other solutions you are a learner too you work in Mm L&D that that is the point you know it's not it's not that learning doesn't exist in the organization it's just that there's so much elsewhere that people are habitually accustomed to accessing so if we want people to actually use what we've got to offer it needs to be valuable it needs to actually help them do something but it also really does need to fill a specific learner need first Mm -hmm. rather than a business need I think and I just want to go back to what you just said about um L&D not really having the gumption or the confidence to say actually wait let me work out let us work out what the best solution to this problem is and again I think that goes back to a marketing mindset whenever I talk about marketing mindsets people I hold my hands up and admit I think marketers are some of the most annoying people in the world and I am one of them we ask why we challenge we do we we are that annoying person in the room like you said Paula like you are the one going no wait are, are we doing this correctly that is a marketer's job, the curiosity about it. Mm -hmm. But then also the collaboration part of being a marketer. Marketers network within businesses. We know the head of finance. We know the head of sales. We get to know all the individual people in the company as much as we can. And that gives you a confidence in and of itself. You're not Mm -hmm. then talking to a room of strangers thinking, oh, who am I? I'm just the little L&D professional and I should keep my mouth shut. You're like, these are my friends and I'm going to give them my opinion. So that kind of business networking not only helps when it comes to understanding your audience and all of that good stuff and getting your message out and amplifying your message. It also helps just building your confidence in saying, actually, no, I am a professional. I do know what I'm doing here and I am going to push back and I'm going to challenge you when you've got an opinion and it's going to help whether the challenge and pushback result in a change the fact you've done it helps you reach your Mm -hmm. end goal in a more confident and succinct way yeah I think as well the like collaborating with other people it helps you get comfortable with the fact that you don't have to have all the answers I think a lot of a lot of L&D people um are used to having the answers and and for me that's where that's where I maybe had the most discomfort trying to adopt this mindset is that you know I'm I'm not, I don't have to be the expert. I just have to know experts. And then, because no one person can have all the answers to things as much. I like to think now that it's much more important to ask the right question than have the right answer. 
because other people can give you the answers, but somebody needs to be brave enough to stand up and say, I don't know if this is the right thing. Like, can you can you talk to me about it? Can you tell me how you feel? How do you see it? Because otherwise, although we're, although we you know we're putting the learner or the end user at the heart of everything, at the end of the day, we are employed on the behalf of the business, but we don't want the business to fail. We don't want to waste the business's time and money. We want to help them achieve their goals, but we have to do that in a way that means that it's got the best possible chance of success, and that's why we put the individual at the heart of it because we want it to succeed. And I think if we're really open with our stakeholders, that that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're not we're not pulling ideas apart. We're not we're not being belligerent for the sake of it. We really want to help them do what they're trying to do. And we want to make sure that we're doing it in the right way and that we're not letting them down. And, you know, we're 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 not scared to be wrong if somebody else is right. Yeah. And that's a challenge in itself, especially if you're used to being in that expert stage on the stage space. And I think that, again, it goes back to what Ash said, doesn't it? It's that legacy of being a teacher in a classroom or a lecturer in a lecture hall. Like, you think they know all the answers and nine times out of ten, they'll give you all the answers. And that kind of mindset's shifted over into workplace learning where it shouldn't have. Yeah, and if you look if you look at academic teaching, I mean, I've been out of it for a good while now, but it is teaching by subject matter, subject matter experts on steroids. You know, it's their job to grandstand and know things that other people don't do. And the atmosphere is quite competitive that they, they'll tear each other apart because my understanding of it is more superior to yours. And if that's the if that's the, the exposure that people are getting to what good education and what good learning looks like, of course, it's going to bleed over and and how we see workplace learning. But the difference between academic learning and workplace learning is that workplace learning is there to help you do a job. It's there to help you do something very particular or it's there to help you advance your career. Academic learning is learning to pass a degree or pass an exam or gain a qualification that might enable you to move on and get a job elsewhere. So there's a, there's a different motivation in it. So, of course, the delivery mechanism is different. It, again, it's basic understanding your learning needs, isn't it? You know, you, if you if you're if you're starting out as a novice and you want to be like a history teacher, which is what I wanted to be, then you go and you learn from the history experts who spend all their time in books. These aren't commercial people. They don't work in workplaces. They work in, you know, they're students for life essentially. So they they will approach it in a very different way because they see it as their role to pass on their wisdom to the next generation. Whereas in the workplace, if you're if you're trying to do a job, you're trying to do something different, a new system gets introduced, you can't approach that in the same way as you would approach a degree. It's just crazy. Like you just need to know what buttons do I press now? Like is it easier yeah. to use than the old one? Then I don't need I don't need training. Just just let me press buttons and, and see what happens. <laughs> We, I think sometimes we don't give people enough credit. Like me and Han have this discussion, like these people are adults, they're grownups, like, mm-hmm. and they've used technology. It's quite intuitive, most of it. So I'm with you there. You know, we need to give people actually like a bit of credit. Mm-hmm. They they have mortgages and children and outside of work, I think they can probably figure it out. Um, but, you know, when you were talking there, I was just already thinking, and I don't expect either of you to have this answer because it's a little bit uh, ineffable, I expect. However... I wonder really, what are we actually trying to achieve? 
with LND? You know, are are we because to me, I see some functions that are just, you know, getting a lot of learning in a in a learning platform and just saying, hey, there's this place where you can learn and what does it mean? And oh, you know, if, if there's no unless it's compliance and they're not measuring any any um even just consumption numbers, what what are we trying to do? Is this is this an employee value proposition thing where we offer you like learning opportunities? Is it to just make the the employees content? Are we genuinely trying to affect behavior? You know, it's it's for me, it's I don't know if we always know the answer to that big question. Like what are we actually, what is our primary goal as a learning function? And does everybody in the learning function understand what that goal is? Is everybody aligned and pulling in the same direction? But again, yep. even if we don't know what the answer is to it, are we asking that question enough? Hmm. And I also think it's not just a learning function. Is everybody, no. all the stakeholders throughout the organization on board? And I think that's where the confusion comes from. If you ask the CEO that question, they'll be like, well, learning's there to help us make more profit for the business because we want our people to be more productive and then we're going to make more money and I'm going to be a millionaire. That's what the CEO or like the corp- like the C-suite would think. But then if you are an L&D practitioner that's like most L&D practitioners really just wants to help people and get people to, to do mm-hmm. better, their answer is going to be really different. And I think there's a huge disparity between all different parts of the organization, which means there's no one set answer to that in most organizations. Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I mean, it, I've I've talked to with Han about this, and this is a little bit more marketing speak than than um, <clears throat> marketing for learning. But um, we see a lot where organizations that have kind of outbound marketing functions and their their major emphasis is on marketing qualified leads or leads generated. So that's pretty much what marketing is measured on. How many leads have you generated this month? And, you know, I've talked at length with Han, we're both in agreement. It, it fundamentally breaks the marketing function because the marketing function isn't actually able to do activities that truly move the needle, branding exercises, dark social things that we know are really working in the current market and current climate. Instead, they're constantly being forced by the CEO to go and do the things that the CEO believes are going to move the needle in marketing. L&D has the exact same problem. You know, they've they've got senior stakeholders in C-suite coming and saying, well, we, we have these challenges that you need to fix. It's clearly a learning problem or a learning need or whatever. So you guys have no choice but to be the order takers. These are genuinely your bosses. They are the people who hold the budget strings and, and want to see performance from the function. Where, you know, it's so frustrating. Like I've found tactics and strategies for ways to placate the C-suite and make them think, yeah, okay, you're doing that really great stuff. Stuff that doesn't do shit, frankly. <laughs> Versus, you know, the stuff that we know is going to get traction. You know, it's hard. You're being pulled in two separate directions. Your your industry expertise tells you, well, if I do X, Y, and Z, if I take the time and invest the time in having a UX person or and having someone who truly can get to the, you know, deep down nitty gritty of my audiences and my personas, but I'm only getting budget for three headcount and I need an instructional designer because my product team want constant new product training. And, oh, well, I have to have, you know, a L&D manager and I have to have, you know, one other graphic designer or something like that. It's It becomes a difficult dynamic because how are you actually supposed to do this stuff when the business, when, when the top end of the business is truly well-intentioned, don't get me wrong, but forcing learning functions to focus on on 
initiatives that don't necessarily achieve the outcomes that they want in a wonky mm-hmm. sort of way. Does that make any sense? Yeah. yeah. And L&D people feel it, I think, because the reason that people go into L&D in the first place is because they genuinely want to help people. Yeah. You know, it's, it is a very people-focused and quite caring profession. You know, you, 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 want, to, you want to help people find their job a bit easier or you want to help them develop their career or you want to help them move up to the next level um, of their job to to kind of be put in the middle and feel as if you're not you're not doing the right thing by them but you're doing the right thing by what the business wants it is a a conflict and a struggle so yeah but I think it's it's the asking the question isn't it because even if we don't know even if we don't have one specific answer to that question about what is our purpose for learning in the organization at least if we're have if, at least if we're asking the question we're having the conversation with people and bringing the different viewpoints out into the open and discussing them and trying to find a common ground and saying right well you want to achieve this actually we see it, we see it slightly different and we think that if you if you did something else it will help you with that but it'll also help you with this so it's, it's just having having the open conversation and bringing these things out into the, the open because sometimes we just if we if we keep our heads down and just keep doing what we've been doing and and, and not having the challenging conversations then nothing really changes and then before you know it people start looking at the learning function and, and wondering why it's delivering learning that doesn't change anything it's like serena said on the evp podcast tan if you want a change your bait right? Yep. If you want to get different outcomes, you've got to change the way that you're tr- you're doing things, you know, the, the epitome of madness is doing the same thing and expecting different mm-hmm. results, right? And so I do think we're starting to hit a wall with, okay, well, you know, not, we're not really getting the success and the traction that we want from our function. Something's got to give. And, and I do think that this mindset piece, and that does tie in with the marketing Uh, mindset and you know the UX approach and more of a Mm -hmm. people-centered approach to design development delivery and marketing really Um, I think that that that's the way it's got to be because you know everybody has been conditioned to expect that these days anyway so we're just Mm -hmm. a little bit behind the times in terms of catching up and reinventing ourselves in in a way that we're able to actually relate to these people on a mm-hmm. way that fundamentally makes sense to them yeah. it just doesn't f- it still feels like there's a disconnect like well we've got lots of learning but <clears throat> is any of it relevant to me do I care can I find it quicker on google you know oh well I've got to go to this system for that and I've got to go to this system for that and this system for that that's if I even know that those systems exist <laughs> I'll just go to google you yeah. know <laughs> and I think a lot of like the C-suite, again, are kind of looking at learning to be part of the EVP, something that's going to attract people to their organisation. If we're just churning out content after content after content and, yep, we're getting loads of learning libraries in, but actually we're not seeing if that's actually applicable to anybody that works in our organisation at all, that's not going to attract someone to your organisation. Like Ash just said, mm-hmm. Google's there. But also I can go get a LinkedIn learning subscription of my own accord if I really want one. I don't need your business to do that. I need you to give me something that's actually hyper relevant to me, my motivations, my career growth, what I want to do. And what I want to do might be entirely different to what another marketing director wants to do. 
but it might be exactly the same as what like I don't know what's the most different role to marketing finance like a finance person I was gonna say CFO (laughs) (laughs) but it might that my motivations might be exactly the same as a CFO Mm -hmm. we have completely different jobs and it's understanding people at that level that's really going to help both your learning Mm -hmm. and the communication of your learning in my opinion yeah I think like when when I started trying to adopt the marketing mindset and learning in the in the kind of early phases it was all about the marketing to the learner but I think what really helped me understand it a lot better and change some of the conversations that I was having that I was then able to take into UX was when I started thinking about I'm actually marketing my learning to more people than just learners I'm marketing it to the stakeholders that I'm trying to convince that this is the right thing to do so using some of the tactics um like we've in my workplace we've been talking a lot about the the value proposition canvas um and how you can actually just use that to generate some really honest and frank discussions and how it's it's a great tool for collaboration and it's you know some of the feedback that I've got is that the conversations that it's opened up is is really really honest and refreshing and we're actually uncovering learning needs that we didn't know existed because the different conversations that we're having so you're not just marketing your learner you're learning to your learners you're marketing it to the people that you're actually working with alongside the business you know if you take the what's in it for me there's no single what's in it for me the what's in it for me is is dependent on who you're talking to you just need to know who the me is in it because it's not it's not me it's you know it's you um so I need to understand what you're looking for from a conversation or from a learning proposition or a learning solution and I need to understand how I can make it seem like a viable proposition to you that adds value in a way that you want it to so you, you you turn the tactics to the different people that you're that you're dealing with and I think that's like that's like my my, my, my kind of second phase um where it's starting to mature a wee bit is yeah. you, you see you see the different applications of it I don't know about you Ash but I think that comes back to one of the biggest problems marketers face marketing isn't just advertising marketing isn't just the tactics you see there is so much more so taking our marketing masterclass for example we have six sessions and three of them about like the behind the scenes stuff and it's that stuff that you actually see like light bulbs going off when people are like oh my gosh that can help me here oh I can use that there oh I can really get to know my people that bit of marketing is so important and that's what separates like really great marketers from ones that just plod along and do what they want to do because that end tells them to exactly (laughs) that end bit is just what the end user sees what your target audience sees there is so much more to marketing and I think that's what you're saying there Paula it's a behind the scenes bit that really really makes a difference and we're not just talking about advertising your learning that's not what no. we're talking about when we talk about marketing for learning there is a lot more to it than that it's all about in the approach I think right so like the VPC for example is something I came across when I was just I got on some accelerator business program for mass and I was like this is an incredible tool it's not a marketing tool it's something that we've just thought bloody hell like this is really 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 useful and when we we do it with our clients when we do it on the master class the same you it's incredible but these conversations have never been had 
you know, what, what mm. value do we actually offer to our employees as a learning function? That conversation is just not had. And as soon as you start to flip the script there, instead of this kind of push, 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 it's learning, you should do it, Ooh, go learn, <laughs> it's great, to actually, you know, what are we trying to accomplish? What's the experience actually like for people? How does it benefit them? What are the features of the learning proposition? And how does that tie in with our, you know, our offering? But, you know, how does that relate to a value? You know, mm-hmm. what, what are, how does that align with their wants, their needs, their fears, their pain points, their issues, their challenges at work? This, again, adds color to a persona. It helps you deepen your understanding of your own position in the market, in inverted commas, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got to understand where we sit within the landscape of the organization, but also within the wider world. These people don't just come to work and go, I'm at work. I don't, I'm not interested in anything but work. <laughs> no, you know, they still, they still are humans and they still have lives. So we need and to they understand. have emotions. I think that's a big thing that people overlook. Mm-hmm. They're not robots. They do have no. feelings. <laughs> We're so all many. Human. I have so many, so many. feelings. <laughs> yeah, it is true. And I think, you know, that is an incredible tool. It, it, it can seem quite rudimental if you don't, if you just take it at face value and you don't kind of really sit and have those conversations. Mm-hmm. But as a, as a workshop facilitation tool and, and, you know, to bring in like key stakeholders across the business and actually have that conversation, you know, imagine, imagine doing a VPC for an L&D function, but then getting you know, your head of internal comms, your head of marketing, your head of finance, you know, heads of all departments and having a similar conversation, mm-hmm. but from the EVP perspective, those things will be so different. And, you know, I think like that's the level of introspection that we need to get to where we have to think like an external marketer that no one wants mm-hmm. to buy from us. That's the, that's the place we've got to get to where we think actually no one wants to transact with us We've got to master the art of influence, which really deeply relies on understanding our audiences. And that's mm-hmm. that's it for me. Everything cascades from there. The only thing I wanted to ask you, Paula, because obviously we haven't we talked about UX in a kind of roundabout sort of mm-hmm. way. Um, obviously, when we're talking about, you know, putting the learner at the center of everything and we talked about journey mapping and stuff like that, my worry is that when people hear that, they're going to think, oh, well, I'll map out a learning program. And I'll, and I'll think about all the touch points of that learning program. It, that It's bigger than that, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it, it's a more holistic view of the learning function as a whole. It isn't just, oh, you know, what touch points is someone going to have through this blended program I'm building for my new managers? Like yeah. it's bigger than that, right? Yeah, you can. If you just, if you do it program by program, then you just, you create more noise you need mm. to step back and look at the big picture and w- what else is happening. So like, and it's not just how learning impacts, it's how comms impacts, it's how systems impact. So you, you, you have to kind of look at the the reality and the real world that that person's operating in. So you're, you're looking at triggers, you're looking at distractions, you're looking at noise, you're looking at what else is happening. You're looking at the possibility that there might be stuff going on outside of work that, that decreases their bandwidth in work. If you were only to look at that from a program point of view, then somebody like in your team who's working on a different program might look at it from the same perspective, but in both of you doing that, you create more noise. But then if L&D look at it in isolation, they're creating more noise because comms might be looking at it as well, or you know, engagement function might be looking at it. So you, you have to you have to take a step back and and look at everything else, like you say, holistically, because 
when we put stuff out there, it doesn't happen in isolation. You know, they're they're not just sitting in a little lab waiting for their their educational upgrade on something where it's like the matrix and we plug something in and and they know kung fu and they just run that simulation. They're out there in the real worlds. Other people are talking to them at the same time. We need to be, we need to know where we fit in in the grand scheme of that. Because if we don't, we contribute to the noise and contribute to the problem. And the noise isn't just learning focused either. And I think so, much so many LNDs are like, oh, so I asked this question yesterday in the masterclass and straight away they were like, Google, YouTube, like LinkedIn. And I'm like, okay, but what about Instagram? What about their husbands or their wives? What about their children? What about their family? There was so much noise in our world. And you are still, regardless of them being an employee at your organization, when you're trying to target them, you're still trying to cut through all of that mm-hmm. noise. How can you get through that noise to actually get your person to go, okay, I'm going to give you my full attention and I do want to do this piece of e-learning or this learning course or whatever it is. Yeah, and that's the whole view in in coming back to not being the one that has to do all the research or all the mapping because it doesn't all belong to one person. We have to to work with other people and, and know what else is going on so that it doesn't feel as if it's just one more thing for somebody to ignore. Now, at the bare minimum, you need to know what else is going on in your organisation. Mm-hmm. And I think, I say that's the bare minimum. I don't think a lot of L&D pay attention to that. No, we operate in silo. A lot of the time we do operate in silo. And I think that those silos, I think we're starting to understand even at a basic level a requirement for wider data means we have to drop the siloed approach. It's not doing us any favors because we are part of a wider goal, which is the business goals. Um, mm-hmm. We feed into that, but you know, our we are not the only thing happening in that business. And you know, we're told time and time again, our learners say they don't have time. Well, what else at work is occupying their time then? Let's get Mm -hmm. an understanding of that. Why are they prioritizing those things over your learning initiatives? Because they're probably getting told to, or, you know, like, again, unless you understand the semantics, Mm -hmm. or they don't care. Everyone has time. Breaking news alert. We do have time. (laughs) We just don't want to spend it on learning. It's it's true. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) So, I think that brings this podcast to a close. I think we have given so many people so much food for thought. Paula, if they want to talk to you, they can find you on LinkedIn, right? Yes, they can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find me on Twitter at Paulaography. Um, but I don't talk about workplace stuff on there. It's mostly just me retweeting cats. <laughs> I need to go check and, out and, your Twitter. And, and, and I'm silly. Yeah. I'm writing that handle down <laughs> And thank you both for such a wonderful conversation. And we'll see you on the next podcast, guys. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.